Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to The Old Men and the Three ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. You know what gets me through the home stretch of the NBA season? A solid mystery thriller, which is why I highly recommend checking out Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. I'm currently listening to The Wager by David Grant. It's a thrilling story of shipwreck, survival, and savagery, culminating in a court-martial that reveals a shocking truth. And good news, as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. And new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. That's audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. Welcome to the Old Men of the Three with J.J. Reddick and Tommy Alter, presented by Cash App and brought to you by 342 Productions. This is episode 55, Duncan Robinson and Hassan Minhaj. We've got a special episode today, Tommy. This was a lot of fun. In addition to uh, a bunch of catch-up stuff with Duncan and Hassan about uh, some projects he has going on, stuff happening on the court with Duncan. We also have an amazing Eat, Pray, Dunk segment for you. Uh, just as a reminder, Eat, Pray, Dunk, sort of a uh, you know a confluence of uh, pop culture, wellness, health, uh, food, wine. I know we talk about a lot of you know a lot of, on a lot of these Eat, Pray, Dunks. We talk about wine and food. This conversation, I think, is why we podcast. To be honest with you, um, there's a lot of really deep stuff in here. Uh, Hassan, I mean, like literally, I was writing notes listening to him talk. We went long. Yeah. We went long. I hope you guys are ready for this. It w- I, we knew it was going to be long with those two because you know we've known them for a long time and they've got a lot to say. And we haven't had either of them on in a minute. But uh, this this covers a ton of different um, a kind of different ton of different stuff, and it was I think it exceeded both of our expectations. We say that a lot, but in this case, it really did. And this is the first time we've had Duncan on since the launch of his show. We had him on to announce the launch. He came on with Malcolm Gladwell, um, and he's about 15 episodes in. Go subscribe to The Long Shot on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Him and his co-host, Davis Reed, are killing it. Uh, they're doing a great job. Um, and I think they just had Joe Ingles on. They did, your uh, boy. This week. Yeah, they got Joe Ingles on this week. I'm sure, I'm sure he slandered you. Yeah, he definitely within, slandered me. Within three minutes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so go subscribe to their their podcast. You can subscribe to their YouTube channel as well, The Long Shot Pod. Um, I think we should just get right into it, man. Let's do it. And one other thing we should mention, The Long Shot is launching merch. Okay. So if you search, if you go to 342.com, you can... Uh, uh, shop342.com you can find Old Man in the Three merch and the Long Shot will also have merch coming within the next week or so so look out for that alright sweet let's get to our conversation with Duncan Robinson and Hassan Naj alright let's welcome in our guest uh, Hassan and uh, and Duncan 
Uh, real quick story uh, before we get started. So my first game with the Mavs was uh, against the Knicks. I kind of met the team. They were coming through New York. And uh, as one does at MSG, you look around and see who's sitting courtside. And Hassan's hair is, it's unmistakable. Like, you're, it's unmistakable. So I'm like, all right, there's my guy. So the entire first half, I'm try- every time out, I'm trying to get his attention. He's sitting with his lovely wife, Bina. I'm trying to get his attention, trying to get his attention. I come out for halftime, he's not there. Finally, in the third quarter, I take my mask down, and I'm basically yelling at him from across the court. I finally get his attention. I go chat with him after the game. And he had no idea that I had been traded to Dallas. So it really showed me how good of friends we are. <laughs> this is actually facts. Way to open the pod by throwing me under the bus. <laughs> He's the king. How's the king of the Knicks courtside seats? Am I? No. Yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of like the new Spike. No, 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 no. I think it's like, and out of the comedians, it's probably Che. Che goes the most. And then, yeah, probably, probably me. But yeah, my, my bad, JJ. And it's kind of crazy because... I, I've always, I always thought it, it would be bad form if I were to ever be that dude who's yelling. So the fact that it was, the, it went the other way, I, I actually kind of feel flattered. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a fanboy. Uh, that's what it comes <laughs> down to. I'm a fanboy, and I'll, uh, I, I admit that. I admit that. Duncan, have you played the Knicks recently? Uh, yeah, we played them twice, uh, or no, sorry, once with no fans, and then the second time around, they did have fans. The interesting dynamic with the courtside now is that I feel like before you could kind of blend in with the court side. Like you couldn't really tell who was who and what was going on, but now they're all isolated and separated. So you knew exactly who was sitting where. I think it was uh, Pete Davidson and we had, of course, because of Tyler, we had Jack Harlow in the building, <laughs> uh, which was, you know, the Tyler Hero, Jack Harlow game. That was pretty That's well That's your documented. boy too though, Duncan. I mean... There's Don't levels. Be- there's <laughs> levels. You know, like you, there's there's having a song about you, and then there's like you know the occasional DM exchange, which is very much where I fall. Duckett, have you had any um, any courtside? Has anyone talked shit to you courtside yet, or anything like that, or any just like funny experiences? Uh, not really. I mean, maybe like the one. My so my two way year. This is I was like completely irrelevant um around the time when you guys actually this this trio right here was on a podcast talking about my irrelevance i believe um (laughs) oh yeah but uh with malcolm gladwell (laughs) that's right yeah uh that was somewhere amidst the division three slander that also took place (laughs) but uh it was actually d wade's last game and it was that would like brought out everyone last game in miami and uh john legend and chrissy teigen were were courtside and that was one where i just like had to take a moment after the game uh and just go up to john legend and just be like i'm a huge fan so that like that that was my fanboy moment um outwardly just because at that point i was like i don't know if i'm ever gonna have an opportunity like this again gotta take advantage of it jj what's the protocol you're you're an elder statesman so what's your your what's your position on this in regards to speaking to people courtside Oh, I've always been open to speaking to people courtside. Like, I always look forward to MSG because you know you're always going to have a few people that you probably know. Um, Like, Spike, I met my draft night. So every time we come through the garden, I always talk to Spike either before the game or at halftime. Actually, funny story, my last year in Orlando, uh, we were playing um, the Knicks, and I was taking the ball out right, right next to Aziz. Okay. And at the time, like Aziz was like, I thought he was like the funniest dude in the world. And he, he had a show 
in New York that summer that I was going to go to. And so I'm talking to him. I'm like, I'm like Aziz, Aziz, I'm coming to the show, man. I'm coming to the show. I can't wait. And he looked at me like he had no idea what I was talking about or who I was. Like he just completely ignored me. Oh, my God. And it kind of crushed my soul. Oh, man. Hey, are you against, Duncan, do you not like it when people courtside talk? Is, is that annoying? Because I've always tried to be respectful. No, I, I don't mind. I honestly don't mind. I mean, like. Oh, wow. I truthfully like I very rarely notice it in live gameplay right like you could pretty much say whatever JJ I don't know how you feel about this but like you got to be pretty outlandish for me to hear you like while I'm playing but where you really tend to hear it is exactly that like a dead ball taking the ball out of side out of bounds like that sort of thing um for me I you know I think it's I welcome any and all interaction have you ever gotten a creative heckle like when someone says something you're like "Ah, that's actually pretty funny Nothing really. Honestly, college was worse. College, okay. call. I mean, I think JJ can had it worse than definitely than me. <laughs> had it worse um, than everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure JJ got the the brunt of it. Um, I, I I can only imagine. Truthfully, JJ drinks his own pee was my favorite that I ever <laughs> got. That was my favorite. Uh, Hassan, I have a question because uh, I want to talk a little bit with with all of you just about the Knicks in general. And what a bummer it is that there isn't full capacity at MSG right now because this run they're going on, like it's, it would it would be reminiscent of Linsanity or some of those moments when Mello was there or those late '90s teams. Like I feel like New York is missing out on that. But before we get to that, um, have you ever had a moment where you're on Celebrity Row and they don't show you? They showed you that game. They, you okay. know, they showed you with your mask on. But <laughs> yeah. have you ever like been sitting there and like the person next to you is like up on the jumbotron and then they just uh-huh. don't show you? Yeah, I've been, I think the first time I sat courtside, they sat me courtside. They didn't. They didn't. Uh, I was waiting for them to come to me during uh, one of the timeouts and be like, "Hey, next possession or next timeout, we're gonna come to you." So I was like waiting to get checked into the game, and <laughs> it didn't happen. It's humbling, bro. It's really humbling. And you're like, wow, this dude from like Top Chef made it. All right. <laughs> the level of I would I would always compare. Yeah, I would always get in the uh, the mindset of just like like that guy made it. Yeah. That guy, it's like it's like Duncan. It's like when we compare contracts, basically, it's like the same thing. I would get that competitive about it. I really would. It's so insane for you guys, by the way, the fact that just you, the amount of money you make is public record. It's insane. It, you could just straight up, it's like for, for us, it's all conjecture. It's all like, ah, network, you know what I mean? And you're like, that's not what I'm, that's not what it is. But with yours, it's just like, yo, just straight up Googleable. It's crazy. You have people like Bobby Marks tweeting out exact dollar amount bonus details. If, you know, uh, Tyus Jones, if they make, if they get to 30 wins, I think he got a bonus of $758,787.42 or something like that. They know the exact number of stuff like that. It's wild. Wait, so can I ask you two a question? But JJ, specifically, I wanted to ask you this. How does, how does Waj and Shams get this info? Who is leaking it to them? Are you guys talking? <laughs> Like, like when, when you, that's a, that's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. That is a loaded question. Wow. Wow. Do you, do you DM Shams and you're like, yo, (laughs) what's good? Shams, Charania, like your boy's going to doubt. How does he know? So it's a great question, actually. 
I will only speak to my experience that I am not a leaker. I will go to my grave saying that. And yeah. I've, I've never provided information in that regard. Uh -huh. um, my understanding and my conjecture is that it's the agents and people in the front office. I mean, the NBA is one big cesspool, right? And so everybody's talking to everybody. Everybody's sort of information gathering and then deciding what information to share. But I, it's it's the agents and, and people in the front office that are leaking. How is Woj getting the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial before anybody else? Like, that's the one that Well, I'm Shams like, got the Trump when Trump had COVID. That was a, that yes. he, he yeah, literally like, he had that before. How everybody. are you breaking global news? They're like, Shams will be like breaking news. President Biden has announced we will be pulling out of Iraq and Afghanistan by September. I'm like, Shams, who's telling you this at the DOD? Like, who do you have all this information? I actually, I just want to go on record because JJ now has that I too have never participated in leaking any information. Yeah, Duncan was uh, really quiet over there. I know. <laughs> I, I just needed to clarify. Uh, but truth be told, I have a very similar question, though. I, I live in it, and I'm a part of it, and I still don't fully understand. I, I don't think I'll ever understand the depths of what it actually gets to because it, I think, JJ, that's oversimplifying it by saying it's just agents in front of I think it does run deeper than that. I'm not putting any names or, or making any claims, but I think that it might be. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Look, all I'm saying is this. One time I ran into Shams at All-Star Weekend. He goes, hey, Hassan, how's All-Star going? I go, Shams, I'm not saying a fucking word to you. <laughs> no comment. I'm not telling you anything. Yeah, if you got a scoop, he's, like, he's going to get it for sure. He's going to get anything, any angle. He'd be like, breaking news. Hassan says he should have gotten more minutes in the celebrity game. Or like, <laughs> Here, Okay, so I don't, I don't necessarily think it's just the agents acting in a like malicious way in trying to leak stuff. Let's say after a game, you're at dinner with your agent and you're talking about the team and you maybe share a piece of information with that team. The agent tells somebody else, right? We all, we all have vested interests in our players and our teams, whatever. That person tells somebody. All of a sudden, it's, it just ends up that people share these things with What was with the Woj. time distance between you finding out you're going to Dallas and the Woj bomb? What was the delta, the difference in time between those two? Oh man, I was I was at Pilates, and so I w I wasn't on my phone, so I c couldn't actually tell you that. But it was within sixty seconds for sure. That's insane. So yeah, let me be the conspiracy theorists. Like I'll, me and Tommy can be conspiracy theorists. It's insider trading. It's already set up this way. They already have the athletic. Who I don't know who reads the athletic. You have to pay. It's behind a paywall. <laughs> When he's like, per the athletic, I'm like, fam, nobody's paying. Nobody pays for the New York Times. No one's paying for the athletic. It's insider trading. It has to be Tommy. But let me ask, let me ask you this, because this would, don't you think this would happen in entertainment if people cared as much? Like, like, like if people don't care about somebody leaking that you're like, you're, I'll give you like, I'll give you a hypothetical. You're starring in the new Marvel movie. That is not going to be a thing that like your agent is going to leak and there's going to be a fight. Like you're just going to announce that on Instagram or something. Like it's not, there's not, there's a level of interest that exists specifically with the NBA and the NFL and not really the other sports where like we're, JJ and I were talking about this the other night, like the transactions over the summer, like free agency is more interesting than the playoffs. 
people get more hyped for like team people moving teams than for like actually what happens in the game and it's a it's a i guess to you guys like it's a blessing and a curse don't you think because like the league is now like 365 there's no off season what's the the people want to watch the movie people want to watch the tv show people want to conjecture about transactions on twitter and hypotheticals and team building more than they actually want to watch basketball games i feel it sometimes i don't know maybe maybe because there's 82 games i don't know is there is there a a hollywood equivalent would it be the hollywood reporter would that be the equivalent of like who's breaking who's breaking transactional news in hollywood yeah i'll be candid with you with like you'll close a deal with business affairs and by the time it's in deadline or hollywood reporter it's old news you've known for months that you're going to be you know for example like we had already started filming my stuff for the morning show when it got announced i was already on set like i had been filming for quite quite a bit of time i think tommy's point is right just quite frankly more people are interested in what you guys are doing than than like what what we're doing that that being said the fact that like these Marvel projects, these big projects are able to keep it under wraps for so long is pretty impressive. Like they'll keep casting who's going to be, you know, Thor, who's going to be, you know, in, in this particular project. They keep it under wraps. Well, speaking of, speaking of Aziz, speaking of Aziz, those guys, it's a good example. Those guys just filmed a whole season of Master of None for Netflix, which is coming out in like two weeks. They filmed it in London, I guess like last year or something like that. And it never got out. And it's think about all the people that were on that set and, every, and that's a popular show. Like that's a thing that it was a big deal when they announced it was coming back. And I, I doubt that everybody signed. I mean, maybe most people signed NDAs or something, but like that clearly wouldn't stop people from leaking stuff and other capacities. I just think that there's a, there's like an arms race for information in sports, which is different than really anything else out there. Duncan, I wanted to ask you, so we're talking a little bit about the Knicks, but specifically about Julius Randle. Uh, also, uh, uh, a beneficiary of coming on the show, you know, he came on the show talking about wanting to be a first time all-star. He made a first time all-star. Then they go on a big win streak. He's playing the best basketball of his career. I saw someone tweet on Twitter the other day, um, something about is Julius Randall first team all NBA this year. I don't know that he's first team, but like who would have had him making an all NBA team when the season started? Yeah, I think, I think the competition for first team is stiff i mean obviously i'm I'm not making those decisions or have any sort of vote so I, and, I, and i'm thankful that i don't just because those decisions can be challenging ones um i i think the impressive thing about him is and it's just a reminder of like how early people write off young players in this league in that you know when he was in la he was pretty much written off as you know inefficient will never be a good player on a good team you know, this, that, or whatever. And then even in, he had a really good year last year in New Orleans, but even in New Orleans, it was never going to, it was always going to be, okay, this will never be tied to winning. Um, it's been incredibly impressive to see what he's doing. I mean, the thing that's that's crazy to me, you, you look at his shooting splits. That's the thing that jumps out to me the most. I mean, he's averaged, I think he's around like 23 a game or something like that. I think he had done something similar in New Orleans before, but it's the efficiency and it's the impacting winning that I think is sticking out the most to me. I mean, Obviously, it's not single-handedly because they have a great system, first of all, but also good players around him. Um, but he's doing it at, at such a high level, and he's doing it efficiently, um, which has been just Im- impressive uh, for me just because I, I didn't – I don't want to say I didn't know he was capable, but like you just hear all these narratives that are built up of players so early on. It's cool to see him kind of rewrite that. 
it's amazing what being a 40% three-point shooter does for the rest of your game. It just crazy. The efficiency goes up. The the way that he can drive now off the dribble. Uh, he I mean he just had a monster game against us. That year in New Orleans, I don't I don't I didn't I don't have his numbers in front of me, but I know he averaged let's call it like 20 and 10. Yeah. Coming off that year, he's hits free agency and you know, he basically signs a 3 for 60, but the third year like next year's contract is not fully guaranteed. Think about crazy. that. He could be all NBA this year with a non-guaranteed deal for next year. The the other thing, and I, I should have mentioned this beforehand, that's really impressed me too is his ability to pass. That is something I did not know. And obviously that that comes with getting double teams and being able to play make. Um, you obviously just get challenged in that way. But I think he's around what, like six assists a game, um, or at least close to it. So that those two, the efficiency and and the passing and playmaking, uh, I've I've just been impressed by. Hassan, Tommy and I have been talking about this, uh, and I want to get Tommy's thoughts on this too. But the 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 possibility of like a Knicks Nets playoff series, and and here's another one that Tommy's thrown out is uh, if the Nets win a championship, would it be a bigger deal if the Knicks won a playoff series <laughs> in New York specifically? Go with the latter, yeah. Knicks playoff series. It's weird. Yeah, that's such a weird... Tommy, you go to Nets games more often though, right? I go to Nets games. I feel strongly that the Knicks winning a playoff series would be a bigger deal in New York than the Nets winning a championship. Yeah, man. When you touch the city, just everybody in the city just... Yeah. It's... The, the Knicks... I said this a million... We've said this on the show a million times. Knicks fans, to me, are the best fans in the NBA maybe the best fans in sports when you think about their loyalty to what they've been given uh, on all sides over the, over the last, you know, 20 plus years. And that place is packed all the time. I couldn't agree more. I was at the draft, the draft night, they, they, they drafted Przingis where the kid was crying. And um, the people sitting next to me uh, were just waiting for the next draft pick. And, they were so angry. Like as soon as they drafted Porzingis, they're like, this always happens. And they just got up and left. They didn't even watch the rest of the draft. But their their level of passion and commitment, and I'm saying this as a Kings fan, I just, I uh, I really admire and respect it. It really is like a, a family. You know what I mean? Like it's highly dysfunctional, but you know, they can't, they can't get out of that relationship. It's pretty dope. What is it, what is it like being a Kings fan? Is it similar? Is it similar to being a Knicks fan, like uh, in the sense that you're you're expecting to be disappointed? And this is I'm not trying to knock the Kings at all, but they haven't been in the playoffs since 2006. So yeah, uh, um, it's like this: everybody who's from a small town, who's from a, a I would call it a B or C market, and and, and I'm, I'm sure this is the way Oklahoma City fans feel. You have such a big sense of civic pride; it's all you really have. So everybody from SAC appreciates anybody in the public showing pride for the for like the city and showing them love and then everybody outside of that city they're like why are you a kings fan the knicks the knicks are like the yankees in the in the sense that they're such an american iconic brand that even when they're bad it it doesn't matter you know what i mean like there's teams like the yankees the knicks the cubs it really doesn't matter um so the i would say being a sacramento kings fan is just all pain very little pleasure 
But you must have grown up when they, I mean, they were, they were really good around, around that time. No. Yeah. That era was, I mean, I, I grew up in the white chocolate, Bibby, uh, us going against the Lakers, uh, the, the refs throwing the series, us getting our heart broken, uh, not being able to make free throws. Yeah. We had like a three to four year run where we were really, really, really great. But just to, like, just to JJ, just to like bring your point home, the level of appreciation people give you the fact that I have stayed a Kings fan. This is a fun fact. JJ, you might be o- the only one to appreciate this because we're the same age. This is going to date me. So the first game they used to, they used, my father took me to this game in 93. You'll appreciate this as a Duke, as a Duke uh, alum. McDonald's used to have to give away tickets because they couldn't sell out Arco Arena. So they'd have these McDonald's game packs. And my dad, you know, just being an immigrant dad, would totally buy these packs because for $10, you get an extra value meal and a King's ticket. They're basically giving you a King's ticket for $5. First game I go to, I see this little guy on the court. So I was a short kid. I was like, who's that little guy, number seven? He goes, oh, it's Bobby Hurley. And so since then, I've always worn seven because I'm like, oh, I'm like seven. And so like even in middle school, as, as I was growing up, people were like, oh, you're wearing seven for Ronaldo or whatever. And seven is a very famous number. Like, I tell people this all the time, public record, I wear seven because of Bobby Hurley. Bobby Hurley found out this past week sent me. Oh, wow. Signed. That's amazing. That is amazing. All Legendary. the Bobby Hurley. And, and if you're from that era, you know it's that era. This is a champion. He didn't even give me the official. He didn't even give me the patch jersey. He gave me that that champion size forty. That's amazing. I already. I, I, he couldn't even find his own official jersey. But put that in uh, the frame. Put that in I'm the frame framing. and put that up on no, the I'm wall. Framing this. And uh, that's an incredible story. That is that is what it means to be a Kings fan, and that is the level of appreciation people from that community feel towards you for staying and maintaining and being a Kings fan. I'm still trying to get Tom Hanks to become, you know, because Tom Hanks went, went to Sac State. So he has connections to Sacramento. I'm trying to recruit a small contingency of people from that area to, to like, rep the Kings. How did, how did the Kings get more games on national TV? I don't know enough about TV deals. I'm curious, did, would you guys think, I, I, was, I was meaning that, not that he would know either, but we just saw Tyrese last week when they were in Dallas. And, like, like De'Aaron Fox is one of the best young players in the NBA. De'Aaron Fox is like a young superstar, the same way that some of these other young players are like this. And the teams had like ups and downs, like they're not a playoff team, but like they, you know, they have, they have people that the country would like to see. It was a little bit like with Phoenix, with Devin Booker before this year, where a lot of the country just didn't get to see how good he was because they were never on national TV. And instead the same teams are on national TV four times a week. No matter how good or bad they are. Hey, Tommy, is the, na- is the national TV thing, JJ, Duncan, do you guys feel like that does help with your kind of credibility, clout, and kind of general awareness? Or now because of the internet, everybody sees clips on House of Highlights anyways? I do think the celebrity and credibility rises for the teams and the player, the marquee players that are on TV a lot. And having experienced this year, I think that's really reinforced that even more. I mean, I was on a losing team in New Orleans, and we were on national TV all the time because of Zion, right? He's must-watch TV. Um, then I come to Dallas, and I, I like, ha- like over half our games since I've been here have been on national. We just played two straight games. We had the Thursday night TNT game and the ABC Saturday night game. And a lot, and that's because of Luca. I mean, it's because of Luca. So I do think the league in general is is 
is going to showcase their best players. But on top of that, it's generally going to be the winning teams with the best players. And so that's potentially why we don't see a lot of De'Aaron Fox. I don't think people realize how good De'Aaron Fox has been this year. He's been amazing. And he's been good before that. But he's been phenomenal this year. I I think it's interesting how you have these built-in intentional narratives that you quickly learn. I don't want to say the league is is pushing, but like, for example, I'd be interested to see what Charlotte's national TV schedule looks like next year. Yep. And it, it's it's going to be totally different. And I think that, you know, that this is coming from like this year, maybe we aren't as deserving, but, but we went to the finals last year and we had, I mean, we were like the with all due respect, JJ, because we played the Pelicans, but we were like the early game on Christmas, which is like not not like granted we're also on the East Coast, but we had it's not like we're playing on national TV every other week, like not even close. Um, so I, I it's very much I've at least learned how the league, which isn't a bad thing, but like they they lean into these guys, which is as they should. They're they're trying to provide entertainment, but it's very much intentional and, and deliberate in that sense. Duncan, do you think? You all flipped the narrative last year, making the run that y'all made to kind of get the respect and more respect and credibility for the Heat now. I mean, some. some. I mean, I, I think that the with the bubble, I think it's always going to have an asterisk, right? Just because you know normal circumstances. The amount of times we've heard that in terms of oh, you you know you put guys in normal circumstances full gyms travel schedule all this stuff no way that team's making this run which is like okay like you you can say whatever you want to say there there's we're never going to be able to relive that and and play that out in a different scenario um i think that we certainly at least i'd hope earn the respect of people that actually have like calculated and and educated opinions um but you know in, in all in all honesty like you can only control what you control. Like a lot of those narratives and, and uh, takes are going to be like kind of shifted and formed in their own ways. Duncan, I have a couple things. We're going to get to eat, pray, dunk in a sec in a second. Um, I have a couple things before we do that for you specifically. Um, first of all, um, last time we had you on, we announced the launch of the Long Shot Pod with Three Four Two Productions. You're now, I think, fifteen episodes in. Fifteen, yeah. Yeah. How has the experience been, man? Uh, it's it's been a joy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's funny because it's been a ton of fun and particularly this year, like I think you've experienced this. There there's so much downtime, there's so much time in hotels. Even when I'm in Miami, I'm I'm hardly leaving my place. So it's it's been great to have something to kind of like occupy my mind. Um and, and just kind of like challenge me in a different way. One thing I have learned, and I learned this early, uh, coordinating with NBA players is an absolute nightmare. Uh, and, and I say that, I say that lovingly and knowingly that I can fall under that category as well. Hey, Duncan, wait, Duncan, why though? I, is Between practice, the game, like aren't y'all geographically pretty close? I feel like you guys are like comedians in that way. You, That's the problem, though. So when that time is over and you want to like say, oh, we, we booked this podcast today at 4.30 in the afternoon. You got to strike at that, <laughs> on that time. Yeah. And then 
what I've learned, and I don't know, JJ, I can only imagine you can speak to this as well, but it's like you find the perfect window. It's like, you know, we play this day, this day, they play that day, whatever. And like you find the sweet spot. It's like, all right, Tuesday, the 25th, whatever, right? And of course, just when you lock in the time and everything, ah, sorry, this came up. Ah, yeah, I can't do it. Or you get, you might just get the straight up ghost, which I always, I always tell people like, I never want to, I never want to make people feel bad about like, look, like if you don't want to come on, like, don't worry about it. Like I'm, I'm not trying to like blow up people's phones. I would never be offended if someone said, I don't want to come on the podcast. Yeah. We've got no's. We've got no's. For sure. And, And I have too, but it's just like, I, I just realized how much of a struggle it can be to coordinate. And that's my schedule too. Obviously, my schedule is, is crazy as well. That's that's like my big takeaway. I feel like this is the year where in a normal season, because you know, I've, I've, Tommy and I have done a bunch and I did a bunch before uh, Tommy started co-hosting with me. But in a normal season, like if one of those incidences happen, you can generally get a reschedule within a few days. But this season, like, there's, I can think of, I'm not going to name the guys, but I can think three or four guys off the top of my head that we had booked and either something came up or, like, the schedule literally did change in some cases. Right. Yeah. right. And, uh, and, like, there's nothing on the books. And that was weeks, if not months ago for some of these guys. It's, it's hard. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi, Helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Can I ask you all an honest question just as a fan? Yes. All right, and please be straight up with me. Duncan, let's talk about like your journey from D3, Michigan, in the league, shining in the league, really kind of like this very real come up story, right? Do you feel like when you were playing in high school and in college, the way you were so singularly focused on basketball, and now when you're in the league now and people play professional basketball, now JJ's a, a, a media mogul. <laughs> then, then like NBA players, you guys are also like venture capitalists. It would be like crazy news. Kevin Durant just made $50 million off the Coinbase IPO. I'm like, bro, why would he even show up to work? Y'all are doing like three things. You work at a hedge fund. You also play basketball. And then you're all, and y'all are straight up booking podcasts. Be like, ah, Malcolm Gladwell just flaked on me. Let's, get, let's open up Google Cal before I go play a playoff game. Do you feel, just real talk, do you feel less focused than when you were in Roanoke, Virginia, or when you were playing, you know, trying to get on and at the collegiate level to now? Do you feel a little bit more distracted, less focused, or do you feel locked in in a way that you weren't before? Duncan, I'm going to let you answer this first 
But this is a nice segue into Eat, Pray, Dunk. Okay. Eat, Pray, Dunk, presented by Beyond Meat for Duncan and Hassan, who have not done this. This is the sort of intersection of sports, wellness, mental health, food, wine, culture, all this stuff. And this is a great question. Duncan, I'm going to let you answer first. <laughs> it, it is a great question. And it's it's interesting because I've gotten these like, you know, comments on social media or like on our YouTube stuff sometimes of, you know, if I have a bad shooting, it like focus more on basketball, like go, go get an extra workout in and like stop doing podcasts, right? Like, like th- those exist all the time. Um, so I, I think that helps me kind of speak. I'm going to speak to those comments and your question kind of in one, you know, full answer. Um, my, my short answer is no, I, I don't feel less focused. And, and the reason is this, when I was in, when you're in high school and college, you have a million things that you have going on between class, schoolwork, uh, you know, like the social aspect. And then of course, like middle of my high school career, I was dedicating the same amount of hours that I dedicate now to my basketball. Now, what's really changed is like, you know, in high school and in college, I would try to do, you know, like the before school workouts, the before class workouts, then I would practice and I would, you know, take care of my body after or lift or, or, or fit all of this into a 24 hour day combined with all these other things. What I've realized now as a professional is all of those other things just kind of disappear. And I had this realization early on in my professional career of like, my sole objective every morning when I wake up now is how do I maximize this day to become the best basketball player that I can be? And what I've realized, and this took time, what I've realized in kind of the whatever three years that I've been a professional is that there's only so many hours within a day that you can, with a sane mind, dedicate yourself to basketball. And that's that's on the court, that's taking care of your body, that's you know, film study, whatever you want to call it. And actually those additional hours are equally important for your basketball. And, th- and that moderation is something that I've kind of struggled with. I've had veterans who've been awesome in that regard, like someone like Andre Iguodala, who's like exactly all those things. I mean, the funniest example of that is last year when we first signed him, he was like, he was like taking business calls like just all the time. And I'm like, dude, what? Like, what is going on? He was trying to take out Wall Street bets. He was. <laughs> no, he he would he would legitimately tell. He's like, yeah, this is like my, my my second job. Talking about being an NBA player. He's like, yeah, I work I work on a, a Comcast fund. Like, I'm, I have a full time job, like salary and everything. And I'm like, real talk, Duncan. Are you ever in just shoot around? And now, like, because y'all are just twenty. You know, y'all everyone's in their twenties and they got a smartphone. Or they're just like, hey man, do you own Dogecoin or not? You got Ethereum? Yes. Like, what you got? Well, we talk a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Be real, JJ. You you came in the league like oh five oh six. Nobody was talking like that. Nobody. You were just trying to like survive in Orlando. The landscape has changed in regards to the financial stuff and the and the the tech investing. And look, it, it's similar to we talk about wine culture in the NBA on this podcast all the time. It's similar to the wine culture thing. It gets competitive, and it's. Like, and I've heard some stories about Iggy, like straight up telling people like, yeah, I invest in this company and this is how much I made. Just like, like, all right, dude, you could have just said it was a successful investment. I didn't need to know the number, but good for you. You know, Um, 
I, I would I would agree with uh, with Duncan. I I feel like I'm actually more focused on basketball than I was in high school and and college because you you know 15 years in you have your routine and to get to 50 year 15 you really have to love the game and so for 15 years of my life to duncan's point he nailed it you wake up and you say how do i how do i maximize my basketball ability today and your entire day is structured around that like when damian lillard raps and everybody's like go get in the gym and it's like no dude he was in the gym no, I, when I, I, we said this the other day on the podcast. I don't record podcasts on a game day. I'm not in the locker room recording a podcast with a teammate. Like I do it on off days, you know. Um, and also, the like whether it's investing or whether it's podcasting, like what's the difference between doing that or like smoking weed all day or playing video games all day? Like we we all have to fill our time with something. Um, and I would say this, and this kind of was something that I was going to bring up, but. And, and and you can speak to this too, like in our in our industries, you know, you have to find things that are soul filling, um, because of the pressure and the criticism and the constant ass being made on you, like you will go insane. You have to find something, and it could be one thing, it could be a number of things. You have to find something that's going to fill your soul. Um, and for me, you know, it's a number of things, but you know, podcasting is one of those things. I enjoy doing it. I think there's three things, man. The first thing that I think plays to your guys' advantage specifically in this unique period of time is you all are uniquely positioned to become your own media representatives. You don't have to communicate with the media in a way that they can clip you out or soundbite you to your disadvantage. Like the fact that both of you have long form podcasts you won't suffer from context collapse, which is I think like massively advantageous in terms of just, you're right. Like you could go crazy just dealing with the criticism on social media. I think the second thing that we're going to see from this era of athletes, I was just telling a buddy this, Tommy, I don't know if if you agree with this just as a fan, I think we're going to see in this era of athletes, like NBA players, several NBA owners come out of like this clap simply because the sheer amount of capital you guys were all able to amass and then multiply through what Iggy was talking about and investing and all those sort of things. You'll, they'll be able to turn a hundred million dollars into 500 million and actually go out and buy a team, which will be really interesting. I think the third thing, this is just for me as a fan. I think the reason why the fans have this criticism or take is all of those iconic games that we grew up watching in the playoffs where dudes were just straight up brawling, like the Knicks in the heat. You remember those series of Jeff Van Gundy hanging on to Alonzo Mourning's leg. Just as a fan, we want to see that in the playoffs and in the finals. And so I I think that feeling from the gut from fans is, is like, man, this guy cares more about Ethereum than he cares about like pushing this to a game seven. By the way, I hold that same criticism with comedians. Sometimes like a comedian will be up on stage in a theater show and they'll be bombing. They'll just be fucking around and they'll be like, whatever, I got your money anyways. And I'm like, bro, do you remember when you paid $80 plus $15 for the Ticketmaster charge to go see Chris Rock or go see Dave? You got to give a fuck. You got to, you, you have to play like it's a, a playoff game just because of 
you have to remember the, the financial commitment people put into watching this. And, and I, do, I, I do agree with that, that sentiment from the fans. That's, that's fair. I totally agree with that. And I think it's totally fair. Here's a problem with social media now. Social media, everybody owns their own social media account, right? Doesn't necessarily own it, but you, you choose to filter in and out of what you want in, in your public portrayal of what your life is. So if I'm always, which I do, I, I don't post a lot on Instagram, and it's generally when I post, it's about the podcast. I don't post my shooting videos. I'm not one of those people. And I know a lot of people that do post shooting videos who don't work as hard at me at basketball. So I think there's a perception then, uh, and I'm not just saying for me, based on what guys are talking about in the media, what they shoot, what interviews they shoot. If Iggy goes on CNBC and does an interview, oh, he's not serious about basketball because he's not, he's not choosing to portray that in his public life, even though he's doing it privately. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 that's fair. And like I said, my first two points is you can't have it both ways. Like the fans are also some of the most fickle people here today, gone tomorrow. Oh, this guy's a has-been. So why are you knocking a person for putting themselves in a position to have a career past however long their career is? I think, I think it's just that balance. I think it's that balance. Do you think the, the level of competition is, is still at a very, very high level? Like the scrappiness, the, the brawls, the fights. Obviously, there's no like Ron Artest, Malice at the Palace type stuff happening. Um, but do you feel it's there? I mean, Duncan, you were just in the finals. Did you feel like it was there? It's hard for me to compare it because I don't – I only have the fan experience of, of a previous generation as well. I, I don't have – the playing experience of, of JJ. I, I, I mean, I just think JJ would probably be able to answer that question better than I, I think in terms of talent wise, I may be a little bit partial to my era, but I think that in terms of talent, the league is at an all time high, um, just in terms of general talent. Um, but I, I do, I mean, I, you hear the criticism all the time of guys are too buddy, buddy and that even like something as simple as, Everyone always daps up after games, which is from everything I've heard. I don't know if this is like folklore or not, but it used to be after games. It was like, screw that. Like you walked to your locker room. Um, but I think that's also a, a result of this era that we all grew up in. Like I, I necessarily wasn't, but like you didn't all play the, AAU with all these guys. Yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't, but like all these guys played AAU together. All these guys went to LeBron camp. All these guys were in the top 100 NBA camp. Like, all, they've seen each other on these circuits over and over. And it's like, it's, there's almost like a kinship in that. Uh, it's like, yeah, we're still standing. Like we're still in the league. Like we, we made it to this point. Um, so I, I, I get it. I also get the criticism, like you said, but I, I do. One thing that really frustrates me is exactly what JJ said in that I also choose not to have that content out there. And the, the frustrating thing for me is that I've seen that for some people that perception is, is their reality and that, posting workouts every single day does mean you're a hard worker, which is like, there's a disconnect there. Like it, it doesn't always. Yeah. There was a clip that went viral the other day of, uh, I think it was, uh, Maurice Lucas and, uh, Daryl Dawkins just like squaring off in an NBA finals game. I think it was like 1978 or 1979. I can't remember the exact year. Um, that's not going to happen. I, I would describe the NBA right now as it's like a, it's like a, community it's a it's a fraternity right there's a camaraderie that you have 
and there's a kinship that you share with with everyone in this community, right? And and I, I would say it's it's not necessarily that guys are less or more competitive. There's just a I think more of a mutual respect in general. Uh, and the other thing I would say is player turnover has a lot to do with this. I mean, guys are not sticking in one place eight or nine years now where you're building up these rivals with certain teams and certain players. Player turnover, it's just like you're on you're on a team and then the next day you're gone. There's certain players that get to stick around a lot. Um, so I've played on six teams. I, I'm t- I, I, I go play any team right now, and I've been teammates with three or four of those guys. So, yeah, I'm going to go talk to them in warm-ups. I'm going to dab them up after the game. That's true. That's, that's part of it. That's part of it. I, I want to ask you both, and and uh, Tommy, this I'm sorry, this isn't really a question for you. Tommy, are you are you a part of the podcast? Or are you there? I'm just <laughs> yeah. I'm just hanging. I'm hanging. Man. I know I'm Tommy's along, just hanging. I'm right along now. for the ride right now. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. Featuring a reimagined exterior with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and an interior built with robust materials and integrity, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Its durability has been tested to the extreme while the cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. One of the things I want to talk to you both about is just performance anxiety. And I'm not referring to like stage fright or um, or ED or anything like that. And, and not necessarily even just like the fear of being unable to perform your your duty or your skill. I mean, just like, you know, whether you're filming a season of a television show or you're in season in the NBA, I feel like there's just a general like restlessness and a cloud that hangs over you at all times because you're constantly being asked to perform and then there's there's repercussions and there's consequences based on that performance. Um, and I don't feel that same way. I don't feel that in the off season, in the NBA off season. I don't feel it at all. Um, how do you each, and, and uh, Duncan, you can go first, but how, how do you each sort of deal with that or confront that performance anxiety? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally relate. Um, I'll, I'll start by saying that. I think... I'll, I'll say a couple of things um, and one of them being in terms of how I deal with it, I try to limit variables, if that makes sense. So like in terms of my routine, and this is actually something that I, I've taken from from you uh, in, in some respects is that I just try to keep it the exact same thing every single time uh, so that there's no fluctuation in, in what I'm doing to prepare um, and like a lot of my 
I always say like confidence comes from two things. One, knowing that you're prepared for an opportunity in a moment. And that doesn't mean that you're going to have like total blissful peace of mind, but that's a start. And then the other one is actually experiencing success and seeing that work that you've put in, you know, behind the scenes actually come to fruition. And that confidence tends to compound as you experience success, it grows and builds. Um, Now, the other side of that is like, I, I tell people all the time, like, doubt is always present in that anxiety, whatever you want to call it, doubt, anxiety, like it's always there. But like, I don't want to say it's fun because it's not, but it's like part of the the thrill and challenge and like excitement of, I think, like a high, high performance profession is like learning how to actually wrestle and deal with that. And like, I, like, for example, we've, when I was on this podcast before, it's actually funny timing. You said like, oh, you haven't gone through a big shooting slump in your career yet, have you? And then of course, like I, I go through one and it's like, you know, you try, you, you ride out those lows and it's like, you know, you say it all the time, like try to stay even keel, stay in the center. All right. Well, that's easy to say like, okay. But of course, when I have a bad shooting game, like it feels like the the world is, is ending or let alone a, a stretch of bad shooting games. But like what I, I try to just perspective and like, reframe my mind in terms of like this is a part of it like learning how to wrestle and deal with these moments is like what makes this it's like a privilege in a sense like that's what makes this profession and this opportunity so like special and unique like actually Spo says it all the time of like having these opportunities to play in these like high level games like this is like when you actually feel alive like there's half the league right now that has like mailed it in like their games every other night, like truthfully don't really matter, you know, like whether they go out and score 20, it's like one thing, but you know, whatever. But like, we're now in this thick of this playoff race where it's like you're living and dying on like every single night. And like, that's how you would want it the same way for your own personal career. Like that's what you want it to be. That's when you feel like alive, I guess that was a long winded answer, but that's what I got. That was well said. I enjoyed it. It was a good answer. When you're Duncan, when you're in the a shooting slump, um, do you feel it the next game? Are you, are you in your head a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you got to have a short term memory in, in some respects, but like everyone's like human. I, I think that it, it, it still exists. Like you can't just like totally erase. Maybe some people can, I can't, but um, I think that's exactly that. That's like a skill, like anything else you learn how to just kind of push through that. And you also build equity, right? Like, you know, if JJ has a couple of games where he doesn't shoot well, it's not like people are going to turn around and say, oh, JJ can't shoot. Like, everyone knows what JJ Actually, I, I sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I had a seven-game stretch to start they, the season. They will say it. They'll say I it. I was seven for 42 over seven games. And uh, people, although I've shot like 47% from three since then, people, um, you know, they're still like, you forgot how to shoot. And I'm like, All right. okay. All right. All right, we're just going to, we're going to not count the other thousand games, but we're going to, we're going to really focus on those seven games. Can you diagnose it, JJ? Because both of y'all are shooters. Can you quickly diagnose what it was? You're like, I was, I like hitched my arm a little bit there. I was tight in my back. That Like, can you actually diagnose it? Or is it honestly just like anything? You just, everybody, everybody in life has bad days. I had a couple bad days and it just happened to be on a big stage. I, I would say you're not drawing str- uh, like straight lines with a ruler. So it's hard to diagnose because every game is a different environment. The coverage is different. How the ball was passed to you is different. The timing of everything is different. 
So you just kind of got to move on. Like I practice every shot that I take. So you just kind of got to move on. I was going to say, uh, you have to answer the question, by the way. I have Austin. a follow-up. Like, have- <laughs> no, but I have a follow-up for Hassan that I want that is specific to you, okay. unlike these two on the show, yeah. is you're somebody through Patriot Act, but even before Patriot Act, you're a you're a voice. You know, you're you're somebody that that millions of people all over the world and really all over the world, not just in the US, they look to you to speak on politics, they look to you to speak on social issues and a bunch of different things. We've talked about this in in private a little bit. We I don't think we talked about this last time you were on the show. There's a built-in pressure there of, you know, you're just a guy. You have a family, you 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 are sort of you live a normal life like everybody else and it's it's not easy being someone who has that responsibility all the time. So how do you juggle that? What how does that weigh on you, you know, just in sort of like your daily existence is like, do I need to chime in on everything that's going on? Oh, you're talking about when I was going through all the stuff with like the dictators and all that. No, stuff. no, but that's like, a, that's like a very specific, that's, a very, that's, a, a, that's yeah. a very aggressive example of it. I'm, I'm more like, okay, like the last three months, you know, there's been a ton of shit that's happened in the world. You don't have the show anymore, right. you know? And so like, how do you decide when do I get on Twitter and I say this, or when do I like, go give, do an interview where I talk about this thing versus when do I just like live my life, you know, and how you get into a thing where you, where you're not necessarily responding to like the, the 24 hour news cycle. Yeah. So, so for me, I try to make a quick delineation between noise and signal. So when you talk about like noise, the internet is filled with a lot of noise. Social media is a lot of noise. True signal is what you're trying to catch. What, what, what is actual useful real information? Um, and so if you read Twitter, if you read a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of even like news, you might get caught up in, in noise. And one of the things that I try to keep my mind and my heart clear about is what is the signal? Like what is the actual light, the truth of what I'm trying to say? Um, and then picking the right moments to, to say it because I think context matters. And so um, there's so many issues that are super duper nuanced and people try to pull me in. They try to draw me into a fight. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to talk to you about gun control on Twitter. Like this is not going to work. Like this is not the, there's no way I'm going to be able to effectively communicate with you this way in 280 characters. So one of the things I've, I've gotten better at with age is just knowing, even though somebody may be coming at me for like a week or two, like, yo, aren't you going to talk about this? Like, hey, debate me about this right now. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to refine crude oil for the algorithm right now because the algorithm loves conflict. So you're not going to bait me. That being said, I don't know, JJ, if you feel this way, like I'm 35, I'll be turning 36 in um, September. I think specifically with the art form of comedy, you get better with age. And so the wisdom that I, you know, I've been doing it since I was 18. So the, the things that I've learned along the way, I know, Hey, don't, don't do that there. Save that for when you go on Kimmel or when you go on Colbert, when you go on the show, or you're going to do this big interview with NPR, that's going to give you the right long form way to do it. And so that's the way I approach that specific um, question. But to answer JJ's question about um, process, this is where what I do is so different from what y'all do. So comedy is one of those things where it is one of the few art forms similar to sports, but different where you have to get better by doing it in front of people. So 
as an example, I'm getting my new special together. Like I have my new kind of the, the follow-up to Homecoming King. And right now it's just really fat. Like it's just, that's what I've been working on. Um, and I, I'm doing these small residencies. And so this is like 75 pages of just all the, the, the jokes and the takes and the stories that connect to this, the act breaks. This writing, you know, I've been doing it long enough. So it's, it's kind of like what Duncan said, you simplify the game. So you get all the bullshit out of the way. Uh, I, I know I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna, you know, on, on days that I'm doing a residency and I got three shows that night, not gonna look at my phone, not gonna do social media. I'm gonna eat this. I take coffee at this time. I've been able to get those kind of heuristics just through experience. And then I create my own kind of routine. So the stuff that works from here then gets transferred over to like an actual typed out script. Then that script continues to get refined and worked on. And then it becomes the Old Testament. Like, yo, this is a tablet in stone. Like from, yo, what's up? How you guys doing? I'm Hasa Minaj. All the, thank you so much. Good night. In writing. I've come up with that process basically over the past 10 years. And I think having those like processes that work for me um, have been super helpful. The thing that I've been trying to work on is what JJ, you talk about on the last podcast, which you love so much that you love seeing in Luca is combining process with fun. And so doing all the work and then the beauty of comedy is when you hit the stage, making it all just feel natural or, or organic. So if I have a show, 8 p.m. show in Dallas, the 8 p.m. show should be different than the 10 p.m. show. I should let the work inform me, but then let the audience that night, some dude sitting in the front row, JJ's in the, you know, in like the 10th row or whatever. And I have to <laughs> let those dynamics. You gave me 10th ten, row tickets? Yeah. And, and like, that, would be, that would be like really funny. He's right? heckling from the 10th yeah, row. Yeah. And I'm just like, why are you in the 10th row? And, blah, blah, blah. and then I let that inform segues. And you have that sense of play. And when both of those things meet, that's really beautiful. And, and I think that's what some, that's something that I've been trying to get better at is like really have that sense of play. Like even when I watched that Knicks game, Luca would straight up jack up some wild shots and it'd just be like, bang, like back rim, like super ugly. But then this dude, and maybe it's the Slovenia in him where he's like, yo, the things I've seen, I truly don't give a fuck. Like basketball is the least of my concerns. We straight up weren't even a country like two decades ago. What the fuck are you talking about basketball? So then he comes down the next possession, equally difficult shot, like gets in the rocking chair, leans back, bank in. And one of the things I turned to tell Bina, I was like, he's playing with such a sense of play. That, the body language I was getting from him was just like, hey, none of this is a thing. I'm treating this like every, every possession down is like a new set. I disregard the last set and I'm just gonna do something new. Um, the thing I give him credit for, and I'm, I'm getting better at the more I, I do comedy, is you pull equity from big performances. So like when I go do something that seems scary, I go back and I remember the other kind of big, I remember like, oh, I remember going through this during my Netflix special. I remember going through this during the White House Correspondents' Dinner. So you just pull equity. It's like confidence equity from those moments. And that helps you get through these new difficulties, if that makes sense. 
Both of you said that so well. I, the, the compounding experience, taking the, the the confidence equity out of those past experiences, does it change with expectation? Does the does the anxiety change with expectation? Because Duncan, for example, with you, you know, eighteen months ago, you were a long shot. You know, you were a long shot. Nobody really knew who you were. Um, you had a great season last year. You guys make a finals run. Now there's expectations. Now there's attention. How does how does that shift? Well, I, I think the goalposts change at least from the public's perspective. Like I, I think that you tr- you do your best, right? I mean, it, it's impossible to always differentiate, but you do your best to draw a distinction between. Like I have my own goals that I'm I'm setting out to achieve, and then you have, of course, the public's expectation. Um, you know, I, I think an example of that is is this year where percentage wise, I'm I'm not shooting as like if you look at numbers, my percentage is is, is down. Now, I would turn around and, and say truthfully that I don't think I've shot the ball as well as I'm capable of this year. One, but also two, this year has looked entirely different for me from a game planning standpoint, from what I'm seeing every night defensively. So it's like you know, everything requires context. And on top of that, like you have to look at everything with all of its context. Um, and, and I think that the, I try to stay true to like exactly what, what Austin said, like with my process of, because it, it's funny because there's so much overlap and there's so much similarities there is that the challenge becomes stay true to that without tapping into buying into all of this because it's exactly that it's noise like you know whether you want to hear from somebody after you go with seven of whatever over your first stretch like that is that is exactly that it's just noise and that if you just stay true like I always say like water always finds its level the same way okay you shoot whatever in your first 10 games well now since then you're 50 percent you're always you've done in your entire career you're always going to hover right around that you know, 42, 43, whatever percent from three. You all have somebody, Duncan, do you have somebody in your corner who helps you not dwell? Because my problem is dwelling. So I'll, I'll catch an L and then I'll dwell. Like I'll have a really bad set or I'll have a, I'll do like a late night performance where, you know, you work on it with the producers and, you know, I'll, I'll try to tell these stories on the couch. And I'm like, ah, it didn't really hit. Like it didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I'll, that ride home from the studio to the house, I'll dwell. That night, like, Bina will come talk to me. I'll not be focused, like, real talk. And she'll, she can confirm this. Next day, I'll dwell a little bit. And then I'll kind of get over it. Do you guys have somebody in your ear who helps you not dwell? That's something I'm trying to get better at. It, it's funny. I, JJ, I want to hear your answer to this. But, like, when I have a bad game or a stretch of bad games, I go to this insanely self-deprecating place where it's like, I can't do shit. I'm trash. I can't make up a shot. You know, like I'm just like the worst. And I, I have like, I have a very close group of like really close friends. They've been like my friends my whole life. And I always go to them with it. And it, it always goes the exact same. They start off with, you know, trying to pump my tires. And then it quickly turns to, all right, you know what, man? Like, if you're gonna do this, yeah, like make like make a fucking shot. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it always goes to that, and it's funny because it's that's the switch that actually helps me, like, almost kind of in turn defend myself. Like, 
no, like I, I do this. Like, this is what I do. What are you talking about? Make a shot. Like, this is what I do. I don't know, JJ, how, how, how you kind of navigate it. Maybe it's different. I, I'm still like, you know, I still have like all my boys in a group chat. Like it's that type of thing. Uh, Hasa, to your point, I, I am a dweller as well. Like, and I think part of it is I'm a per, like I want I want to be perfect. I, w- I want to I'm a perfectionist, and like, I, like my dad he, when I was a kid and even to college, you know, NBA whatever. Like he'll text me after I've had a bunch of games where I've had a career high, but missed a free throw, and he'll text me after the game and be like, "I know you're just thinking about that free throw right now, but you played great." You know, I I would say my dad's always been that for me, but you know I've been married almost 11 years now and the last few years when you're hitting those dwelling moments I'll say something to Chelsea and she'll just turn to me and be like shut up you say this every year like I can't make a shot right now yeah it happens every year like she just she provides a bit of perspective I was actually I I do this sometimes I go back on basketball reference and I look at game logs because I like to I like to go back to a specific game or a specific moment in time in my career and try to remember what I was feeling, what I was going through, all this stuff. So I remember this game. Um, it was right before Thanksgiving, uh, my third year with the Clippers. This was the year that I led the league in three-point shooting. I shot 47.5% for the year. And we had a game right before Thanksgiving. I shot like one for four. I played like 18 minutes. We, I, we, we played the Jazz, whatever. Next day was Thanksgiving. And actually, my friend Ben Winston was over that day for Thanksgiving. And we were talking about things. I was just out of it, you know, whatever. Next game, I had 20 points. But that Thanksgiving day, I thought I was the worst basketball player in the world. And I looked at the 15 previous games before that four-point game. <laughs> Yeah. And I was averaging like 20. <laughs> like it, it's, it's hard in the moment to not dwell on the performance because that's the last thing you did. And it, it, look, it, in anything you do, people are paying money to watch us play. Yeah. We are playing a game that has a result, a win and a loss. Yeah. In the same way in comedy, people are paying to watch show. People are paying to subscribe to Netflix. They want their, their money's worth. And, and, Part of it is you feel that, right? And so until the next time you go on stage, until the next time you can perform, you can't let go of that feeling. I can't stop dwelling until the next time. And hopefully the next time is a better performance. (laughs) Otherwise, you get two, three in a row, Duncan. But to shit starts hitting the fan. The fact that you have your boys that are just kind of like, yo, cut it out. Like when you really take the pity party too far. It is important to have people around you to check you, to let you know the cosmic joke that like, yo, bro, I know you think your problem is the center of the universe. It doesn't matter. You're one scroll away from all of us not caring. Like, I'm sure you shot four for 12. Like, like, we're going to mute you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm literally on to the, to the next thing. And I think, I think that it's funny. I've, I've talked about this with other people. I'm still trying to make this make sense, but that can actually be really liberating. It can be deeply liter- liberating that nobody really cares. Like it, ca- it matters to you, but people really don't care. And, and, and in that way, it can just be liberating and freeing to say, all right, well, if it really doesn't matter, and if I'm one scroll away from being irrelevant, then I might as well just go for it. One thing which is really different in entertainment, and you and I have both seen this, and, and JJ's seen it a lot just being around it in LA, is 
there's so many people blowing smoke up the ass of people in entertainment who don't do good stuff. You know what I mean? And so it's like the the objectivity of what is good versus what isn't good is total. These guys know when they shoot well and when they don't. They don't shoot well. Their coaches, their teammates, the media at the games. They there's a very very clear metric of their success. It's not really that way in entertainment. And so does that get into a place with you? You know, like say you, again, I'm going to give you two sort of specific examples. You know, a ton of comics who are some of the best comics in the world who are not famous, who are not well-known. They've never made it, but you were like this person pound for pound yeah, at the cellar. This person is a better joke teller than these 10 comedians who have made 10 times the money and are 10 times. And the other thing is like, you're, you're doing movies now and stuff like this. You know, it's like when you're deciding what to do, it's like you could be in a movie next year that could make like a billion dollars and the movie could suck. And so how are you going to be like, is that a success? Is that a, everyone got rich, but the movie wasn't good versus like I did this independent movie that everyone was like, this was amazing, but it made $19 and, and no one got their money back. And so when you're, when you are like picking success for yourself, how do you calculate it? The way I calculate success for me is like, I mean, by the way, first of all, great point. A lot of things in life are subjective. One of the things I love the most about sports, and it's funny, I tell people this in the writer's room or just other collaborators, people in the arts, I'm like, man, I wish this was more like sports. Because if you drop 35 in a game, that's it. There, there's not, there, you, you can't really say anything at that point. If somebody has a triple-double in a game, it's just they're nice. There's nothing else you can say about it. The, the arts, music, movies, it's so subjective. Like you may love Ted Lasso, this person may hate it, right? It's, it's, too, it's too subjective. So how do, I, how do I remain truthful to myself and what are the metrics I, I judge things by? Here's how I do it. There's this great quote by David Bowie, um, a famous musician who passed away. He says, when you're, when you're creating art, your feet, imagine your feet are at the bottom of the pool in the shallow end and you can walk and you're really comfortable. Just as you're getting into the deep end and your feet leave, start leaving the shallow end and you can feel your toes leaving the floor. He's like, that is the place where you should be making art. Like that's the moment where you feel alive as an artist. And so what I've tried to do is make choices that are that way, where I can feel my toes leaving the, leaving the floor. Like the show that I'm doing right now, it's called The Morning Show, and it's, it's a pure drama. It's me, Reese Witherspoon, Jen Aniston. And it's a drama drama, you know, Billy Crudup, long monologues. It's very different from the past 16, 17 years I've just been doing kind of comedy. But to me, I can feel my, my toes leaving the floor. I'm still playing a fake TV reporter. Like that's in me. I've, I've been doing that for the past seven years of my life. So I know how to do that, but I don't know drama, drama. So I'm proud of that choice, whether a ton of people see the show, whether it wins a Golden Globe or an Emmy or not, I'm proud of making that choice. And, and I try to make choices that feel that way. Like, it's almost like anytime I can see the passing lane and I go for it, those are those, and it, it, obviously it's a calculated decision. Those are the moments where I feel proud of myself, irrespective of the outcome. So I just want to continue making choices throughout my career that that honor that you know what i mean i you both of you dropped some truth bombs on me tonight i took notes on both of your your answers on a bunch of these questions i'm being serious like i this think this was... is gonna be a reoccurring thing we're gonna do this like every two months <laughs> Wait, you guys just come back on we, we didn't name for take it notes from what i'm saying 
like or uh, me for that matter. I, I yeah. feel like you've lived all of what I'm what I'm saying. You've already yeah. conquered. No, there's good stuff here, guys. There's good, the noise versus signal. I like that. I like oh, noise versus good. signal and the bow the Bowie quote. I mean, that is that that goes back to what Duncan was talking about earlier. Like, yes, it's an unsettling feeling to have that cloud, that anxiety, but whatever. But like when your feet are like leaving the ground and you're in that space, you that's when you feel alive. Like that's that's what. I think about, you know, we I'm in the later innings now and I think about am I going to miss that feeling? Yes, there are times when I don't enjoy the feeling, but am I going to miss it? And I think I am. I think I am going to miss it. Uh, yeah. I got to find think, something else that's going to provide that. that thrill, right? Yeah. Another thing I think about is um and and I, I owe this a lot to tommy you know my kind of my collaborator showrunner co-creator of patriot act we do we work on a lot of things together we are companies together but prashant is that for me he kind of gives me that gut check and productive tension is an important thing because a lot of times ideologically or artistically we disagree i check him he checks me but he gets me out of my head and I, I can do that with him as well. Having the, I, you know, I owe him a lot because he, 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 he really does um, give that to me. But he told me something um, because both sports and entertainment deal with this, which is humiliation. You, you, you get, you kind of bomb on a public stage. And one of the things he told me, he reminded me, I was, I was in a slump. I had a couple bad kind of performances and, and, and was going through it. And he was like, just look, man, sit in this pain because pain is information coming at you very quickly. It feels painful because there's so much that's coming at you. Social media trolling, your colleagues are saying a certain thing, staff saying a certain thing. It's all this information coming at you really fast. You'll get clarity from it later. And so one of the things that I've tried to do is, is to understand that pain is a good thing. It's information coming at you very quickly. Try to internalize that sift through what is valid and what is not and then use that to make adjustments going forward you know it's great so i asked you guys this how does shams and woge know all right duncan what's your barber situation on the road uh on the road right now because it looks consistent bro it's looking consistent and i'm i'm dealing with between going i got my new york guy but in la i got a problem how is yours looking consistent being a so actually on, on the road right now, it's non-existent. Uh, I, I just keep it. I appreciate you saying that because I, I actually feel like this is an area where I could be a little bit tighter, particularly with some of the people on this call. Um, but JJ's, JJ's is clean. JJ's I one mean, of the best in the league. JJ, not, not right now. I need to God, It doesn't miss a day clean. I, I feel like every time I, I, I watch a Pelicans or, or now Mavericks game, it's just like, like it looks like he just got out of the chair. Like what am I supposed to do with that? I, my hair grows fast too. Um, yeah, yours yours is crispy, bro. Yours is pretty crispy, especially in your thirties. You're looking real perpendicular. Did you did wait? Tell him the thing Thanks, about the bro. tell him the thing tell Austin thing about the Lakers and calling you Jimmy Neutron. Oh, actually, I should I should have brought the, this up when you the asked finals. if there there's been good chirping. Yeah. Um, well. This, I have I have an issue with that. Not not that I was called Jimmy Neutron, but basically to to encapsulate the story, we were in the finals and the bubble. You hear everything because there's no fans or anything like that. Basically, every single time I would touch the ball, uh, the Lakers bench had gone from. Actually, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go down that path. But but they basically 
every time I touched the ball, it was Jimmy Neutron. You know, I had the hair. I have a big head. Just that's how I am. Um, and, and that's all I heard. So then I'd also been called Sheen, though, which this is where I struggle. And maybe you guys can provide some clarity for me. I don't understand because Sheen and Jimmy Neutron don't look alike. So how can you look like two people from the same show that look nothing similar to each other? But but all I heard all I heard in the finals was Jimmy Neutron. But the general public thinks I look like Sheen. Oh, it's interesting. So. I think this is a great branding. I got to be honest. I don't know what Sheen looks like, really. Yeah. But I think Jimmy Neutron as a thing just to call you is the funniest. <laughs> it was mostly it's, Dwight Howard, I think. <laughs> Not surprised on that. I give him credit. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I heard it's, it and, and I was, you know, yeah, took, I guess, took my mind off. Don't skip past this barber situation. JJ, you're getting shy. Uh, wh- how are you doing this? You fly a guy out. What's the deal? You talking about me? What about you? Bro, I, first of all, I got to cut. Your fade and taper is too, it's too Hold crisp. on. I got a cut in New Orleans the day after Christmas, after we played in Miami. I had a cut like right before I left for New, for New Orleans in late okay. November. And then I got a cut the day after Christmas. I didn't cut my hair again for like seven or eight weeks mm. because of the COVID protocols. Because we could only go to one barber. And I didn't think that barber was particularly um, skilled. Because you know how it is, man. Like you, oh, you find yeah. one or two people. Like there's a guy in Miami that I think is great. I, I have a guy in LA. We could do we could do an hour on NBA barbers. That's yeah. a different. It's a different conversation. There's a, there's an COVID aside. There are so many. There's so much drama in it. Honestly, it's like it's probably there's like a scripted show about NBA the NBA barber life. All right. Second question. I've always been curious about this. So, what is your guys's caffeine intake? on practice days, training versus game days. Cause I have a caffeine problem. Like I do, I do probably three to five cups a day. It's a, it's bad. Oh, that's considered a problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, well that, I, that I also have a problem. <laughs> well, because it's like, I have three different like things that I'm trying to juggle. There's the writing side of things, which is just very mentally taxing. Then there's the second part, which is the performance side where I'm flailing my arms and I'm doing, you know, PowerPoint comedy, that whole thing. And then the third thing is just being a dad with two kids and they're relentless. Their energy reserve is relentless. And by the time I get back, being is like, they're all yours. Right. And so I have to, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I have to kind of get the NOS booster for each of those kind of chapters. What do you, what do you, what do you guys do? Because Bina's like you're addicted. You have a you have an you have an adi- addiction here. Uh, I am uh, every day without fail. Uh, I I have two cups of coffee in the morning. I take my coffee black. I take my time. I read the news. I look at my schedule for the day. I just get ready for the even when I'm with my kids. Like we we sit there. We'll watch the Today Show, um, and we'll just kind of like talk about the day. Have my two cups of coffee. Dude, JJ, morning coffee is so. I cannot tell you how incredible it is. It's. it's I look forward to it. Like I'm so excited for tomorrow morning. 
I'm so excited for tomorrow morning. It needs to be good coffee, though. It needs to be good coffee. Like I had, I had airplane coffee today. Not good. Like it has to be a good cup of coffee. Yes, and then and so then then if I'm like if it's like a training day in the off season or like a pra- like a practice day, I don't really do it. But like a training day, I'll need a third cup at some point, and then that's it. But, but then how, on a on a game day, how much time before performance? So I'll do an espresso, like a double shot, thirty okay. minutes before showtime. That's so. I was just gonna say I usually have a cup of coffee before a game about 45 minutes 30 to 45 minutes before a game that's when i have my little my little my little burst of energy duncan do you drink coffee you have now my my answer on this is pretty simple i so i love coffee but i have actively tried to put off my coffee addiction and i know i know it's around the corner i i can i can almost see it there um but i i don't i don't i don't have it like ingrained ingrained in my routine just yet. it's it's funny because one of duncan's teammates literally right. makes coffee jimmy is yeah jimmy is <laughs> makes and distributes coffee yeah. he's gonna be like a coffee baron and what so do you mean he like, makes it like he'll grind it do the whole thing oh dude, he was wow. making it in the bubble and selling it for like 20 dollars a cup it was crazy big face Wait, coffee right is it big i had, face? I had big one of those coffee. what is it big face coffee big face Duncan, you don't you don't like that little hit that little kind of that woo, no i that, I, that I do i do like i i just haven't like incorporated it into a consistent daily routine like i can't relate you guys talk about waking up morning like i i, I can't i'll occasionally drink coffee in the morning but it's not like it's JJ, not there would, you, would you argue that he's better for it <sighs> no i wouldn't I, I would say I could give up. There's a, a lot of things that I'd be willing to give up out of like vices or, or things that, you know, take away from what I should be super focused on. Uh, coffee is a non-negotiable thing. Duncan, the one thing I'll say is, man, and, and uh, like when you become a father, you have to drink caffeine. Like when you become a parent, you have to drink caffeine. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. But it, it sounds like for both, like it's not a vice as much as it is actually helps your performance. And enjoyment of life. I or just, enjoy, well, right. If, you, or if you haven't done, if you've done it for so long and you go cold turkey, it's definitely going to negatively affect your performance. Dude, the headaches are crazy. Yeah. yeah you feel man, like it's, shit. It's not a choice. Yeah. I mean, it yeah, is, it you're is, right, Duncan. It's, you kind of feel like it's a necessity thing. Duncan, we're not talking about cocaine here, man. It's just Duncan's been hanging, <laughs> been hanging in Miami too long. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's like, I'm now we get to it that on purpose. I watched those dare videos in middle school. Yeah. I'm not. That's <laughs> what those people are doing no. outside my apartment when I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> no, I'm, I don't say I avoid it because of that. I just think of it as like. I don't know. It's just like another part of my. I don't know. I I I don't avoid it because I think it's like bad for you. I'm not wait a, like. Wait a no, second. Wait a second. I don't wait, think it like stunts on. my growth. You know what I mean? Like that was like the thing in high school. All right, my, my last question is for Duncan and for and Duncan first, but then for JJ. Duncan, what got you to want to do a podcast? Because I've been asked many a time to do a podcast by Tommy. Tommy, I I, I shouted you out on the Vince Staples interview, and I refuse to do a podcast because I'm giving receipts to my enemies. Duncan, what got you to do it? JJ, what got you to do it? J- I already, I kind of know JJ your position on it, but but I love I love yours, Duncan. Yeah. So so my position is that I'm not super active on social media. Um, I I just I'm not like a lot of my teammates are. 
you know, posting various parts of their day and, and like interacting with fans in that way. For a long time, I had kind of refused or was unwilling to kind of come to terms with the fact that I have a story that people can actually gather like inspiration from. And I realized that not doing that was like, there was potentially good out there and the opportunity to inspire that I wasn't tapping into. Um, but I, I still, I would have times where I would try to post different stuff and it just felt like disingenuous in a way. So I had a conversation with my, my agent about it and we just both, he actually kind of came up with the idea. Um, and I actually had a podcast in college where it was like, a teammate of mine and we were just kind of like bullshitting but I enjoyed doing it and it basically became that I felt more comfortable in this kind of like long form setting where I'm actually able to you know everything isn't like quite as curated and, and cut up and it's more for me at least and once again teach their own like it just feels a little bit more genuine and I also enjoy like the storytelling component to it um, so I think it's a way for me to like engage in just a more way that kind of fits who I am and my personality. Woj got Woj got me to do it. That's that's why Woj asked me to do it. I said yes, and then I got hooked. And a lot of it, a lot of it is is curiosity. I enjoy asking people questions. The genesis, like I, I think back to the genesis. And I don't know if I've said this on on our podcast. I know I've said this in an interview before, but I did a guys' weekend uh, with a couple high school buddies, maybe like eight or nine years ago. We were in Boston. Went to a Red Sox game. Went to dinner. Whatever. The actual highlight of the entire trip, I know this sounds lame, was we sat, we went to Harvard just because we wanted to walk around campus. We went to Harvard, we grabbed some chairs, we put them in the middle of the quad, and we sat there for like an hour and a half and just talked about life. We asked each other's questions. And I remember leaving that and being like, man, I wish somebody had recorded that. Like, I wish, like, I wish I had that. So the curiosity, the the asking questions, the storytelling, that's what keeps me coming back. Guys, seriously though, it's uh it's we've done we've done too much. This is All right, button, button. This one's for Tommy because Tommy hasn't talked. Tommy, okay. how how is your arm definition better than JJ's? <laughs> wow. uh, because JJ's been spending too much time podcasting and not working out, apparently. Wow. That's where it comes from. Okay. We're doing the next one of these in person in New York City when the season is done. Absolutely. And we're going to name this. We, this is like the wise. Right. We need a four. It's like four musketeers. We need something. We're coming up with something for this. Probably not the four musketeers, but we'll, we'll definitely. It's going to be the four musketeers. <laughs> All right. Appreciate you both. Thank you for the See time. You guys. That was Thanks. awesome. Thanks. Good man. If you like the old man of the three, you can listen ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, Dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I would, in, in the plumber days? 27-year-old Shea would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.